If you want to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, we continued this morning in our series on the hall of faith. I don't know if anybody has gotten anything out of, of what we've looked at, but I've surely enjoyed studying uh, the subject and these, these individuals that we've looked at in the word of God. And last week we, we talked about how by faith we parent Speaking of the parents of Moses. And today we come to verse 24. And this is, by faith, we adult. (laughs) You know, adulting can be a very stressful transition growing up. When we finally begin to adult. (laughs) Y'all understand what I'm saying? Adulting, becoming an adult, making your own decisions and so forth. And I was thinking, you know... I'm sure I don't act like it that much, but I've been an adult for a long time. And I hate to tell you, but adulting just doesn't get any easier. It seems like the issues that you face as you, as you grow older can become even more complicated at times. One of those issues, obviously, is what we talked about last week. By faith, we parent. So if you become a parent, you certainly need the Word of God as your instruction manual. But today we talk about uh, three aspects of, of Moses and how he, by faith, began his adulting process. Let's read verse 24, 25, and 26. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, when he became an adult, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming or valuing the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. If you want to be turning in your Bibles over to Acts, the seventh chapter, in the wonderful and amazing account that Brother Stephen, his, his dying declaration, his dying message there right before they killed him in Acts, the seventh chapter, I've been pulling from that some because Stephen gives such an incredible history of things from the Old Testament. So we're going to read there in just a moment. But I want you to think about what Moses did as an adult. Okay, first of all, he refused. By faith, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, the son of Egypt. And he chose to do something else. And then he valued. So to refuse, to choose, and to value are three aspects of Adulting by faith and by the Word of God. Refusing, choosing, and valuing. That's what it means to esteem, to value something. Now, if we read in Acts the 7th chapter, the, a little more detailed description of what's going on in the life of Moses. Look at verse, let's read verse, I want to begin with verse 18. It says, Till another king arose which knew not Joseph, that's in Egypt, the same king dealt subtly with our kindred and evil entreated our fathers so that they cast out their young children to the end that they might not live. In which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, that's what we talked about last week, what, what happened with his parents. Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. You see, we don't talk a whole lot and we don't know a whole lot about the first 40 years of Moses' life. But I'm going to tell you, he was well taken care of. 
It's most likely that Moses was even the heir to the throne of Egypt. Uh, We don't know all the details about the family tree of the Pharaoh, but he was definitely a favored son. And he was brought into the learning of the Egyptian the Egyptians, you see, he learned mathematics, he learned science, he learned medicine, he learned hieroglyphics. I mean, the Egyptians were on the cutting edge of technology and everything that you can imagine. Now, they were a corrupt and a wicked and an infanticide geared society that would just obliterate or murder those that they didn't like. Legislate the murder of those that they considered not to be human. And you see... Moses came up in that society. You understand that he was raised in the comfort of the palace of the king. He was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So he was the grandson of the Pharaoh. He was adopted into the family of Pharaoh. No doubt he was raised in the, in the, the most amazing comforts that we probably can't even imagine, even today. He bathed in the waters of the Nile. He probably tasted... Every kind of food that was the best kind of food that you could possibly have. No doubt he heard the cutting edge, the most popular and new types of music that were on the cutting edge of society in those days. I want you to understand the environment that Moses was raised in. He had everything. Everything. And also understand that not only did he have everything, but he understood who he was. It says in verse 25 of Acts 7, Moses supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. (laughs) That's interesting, isn't it? That's around the time that he was 40. Moses had a full comprehension in his own mind. He was thinking, I must be the deliverer because I was the drawn out one. That's what Moses means, drawn out of the water. I was the drawn out one. I was spared from infanticide when all of those other boys and baby boys were murdered and drowned. And God spared me. And perhaps Moses was thinking in his mind, if I'm heir to the throne, when I become the king, I can legislate freedom for the Israelites. But God had a different plan, didn't he? That ought to be a lesson to us again, as I've said many times. There's no way that spirituality can be legislated. Freedom in spirituality cannot come from the halls of government. It can only come from God. And regardless of what Moses thought, thinking that he was the man, thinking that he was the deliverer, he thought that whenever he raised up his hand or his knife or his sword and struck the Egyptian who was hurting an Israelite. It says in Acts 7 and verse 23, when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand was going to deliver the Israelites. I think you can see a beautiful picture of Christ in Moses here also. You see, Christ came to his own people. He came to the Israelites. He came to the Jews and they completely rejected him. But he was, make no mistake, the deliverer. (laughs) You see, this is a timing thing right here. You ever thought about how Jesus said, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. Here is Moses, an imperfect man who sees himself as the deliverer and he thinks his time has come. So he kills the Egyptian, hides him in the sand. And the next day, two of the Israelites are struggling with each other. And he says, you're brethren. Why, you're brothers. Why are you doing this? And one of them, who probably was the one that was in the wrong, said, uh, who made you a, a judge or a ruler over us? 
Are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? <laughs> and Moses was afraid. Now, the reason I give you that is because I want you to understand Moses has not seen the burning bush at 40 years old. Moses has seen no miracle whatsoever other than the miracle that he is no doubt told by his own mother of how God spared him from being drowned as a baby. Moses hasn't seen God perform the miracles. Moses hasn't seen God in the burning bush. Now, the reason that's important is because we don't have to see those kind of miracles to understand what God would have us to do. Now, those miracles were amazing and they come later. But before he saw those things, Moses made a choice by faith to refuse. You see, I say to the old and to the young and all points in between, a life of faith involves refusing some things and choosing some things. And it's all based on how you value. It's all based on your value system. What you refuse as a child of God and what you choose as a child of God is based on what you value. What is your value system? Now the word refuse here where it says back in Hebrews that Moses refused to be called, listen to the language, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. The word refuse means to contradict or to disavow or to abnegate or deny. So you see, Moses had been adopted into the family of Pharaoh. He was the grandson of the king and possibly heir to the throne. By the way, it says that he was mighty in words and deeds. Secular history records that Moses may have fought a campaign against some of the enemies of Egypt and, and put down an enemy through war. That's, that's in the secular account. But whatever it was, in the Bible, it says that he was mighty in words and deeds. He was a mighty man. At 40 years old, he was greatly accomplished and very well educated and read in the lessons and the teachings and the culture of the Egyptians. But he was not a true son of Egypt. Don't you ever forget that child of God. Because this world is comparable to Egypt. You are not a son or a daughter of Egypt. You're a daughter and a son of God. By adoption. And here is Moses, when he comes to years... It says that he abnegates or he disavows his adoption. Now, you, I told you just a little tiny sliver of what Moses grew up in. He had everything. He was like the spoiled little rich kid. He had everything. I'm not saying he was spoiled. I think he had a, certainly a good mind and view to keep it in perspective. He had to for what he does here. He disavows his adoption by uh, Pharaoh's daughter. Now, I've told you before that I've been in court many times in juvenile court where the rights of parents would be terminated for sad, sad reasons for neglect and for abuse and just horrible things. I think I told you several years ago that there was a, a couple kids who were adopted. They moved down from up north. The parents did. They had been adopted up north and they came down here and the parents, the adopted parents who'd adopted these kids gave up their rights to these kids. These kids had had parental rights terminated twice in their life. One of them was in prison when it happened. One of the kids. And it was 18 years old in prison. I thought, how sad, how debilitating that would be to be rejected, in a sense, twice like that. And here is Moses going into court, so to speak, disavowing his own adoption to the queen the future queen of Egypt. Can you imagine that? He disavows. 
that he is a son of Egypt. He says, I'm not a son of Egypt. I give up that right. Maybe he had a signet ring, who knows, whatever. But he takes off the ring. He disavows that he is a son of Egypt. And he says, he chooses rather to identify himself as a son of Israel. You see, he affirmed his inheritance with God's people, God's chosen people. Y'all listening? And he chose, it says that he preferred to be called a son of Israel rather than a son of Egypt. And it says that he went. Notice he says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. You see, Moses wasn't just sitting up in an ivory tower and going, oh boy, it's just too bad what's happening down there. No, he abnegated or he disavowed his own adoption and he suffered with the children of God. Does that not remind us of our Lord? It says that the Lord took on flesh. He was made in the likeness of man so that he could experience everything that we go through as men and women and children. (laughs) You see, Moses went with his people. He didn't just sit up in an ivory tower and say, oh, it's too bad what's happening to them. Maybe one day when I'm king or Pharaoh, I'll be able to set them free by legislation. He desired to see firsthand what was going on with them. And maybe in the back of his mind, he still thought, you know, that through the government, their freedom could come. But the, the language, don't miss it, choosing rather to suffer affliction, suffering slavery, suffering maltreatment. It, the word there, the phrase, it means that he united himself with them for the purpose of suffering. He valued something over what he had. And he had everything. He valued the taunting and the defaming and the disgrace and the whips and the chastisement of the Egyptians against the Israelites. He valued that more than all of the stuff that he had and that he had grown up with. I'm going to tell you, you can only do that by faith because it doesn't make any logical or natural sense. But I want you to see his, you remember his thought process. Moses, whenever he killed the Egyptian, He assumed that everybody understood that he was the deliverer. And so he buries the Egyptian in the sand. And then the next day, one of the Israelites says, are you going to kill me too? So he assumed that they thought he was the man to deliver them. Now, the next 40 years, of course, is not what we're here to talk about today. We'll maybe talk about that next week. But... I want you to see that at this point in Moses' life, he has not seen the burning bush. He has not seen the miracles. He has not seen the power of God except through the miraculous delivery that his parents has, in faith have made for him so that he didn't die when he was born. He has not seen those things uh, like the miracles that are coming one day. But he still made the choices that he made by faith. He refused and he chose based on what he valued. Value means to esteem. I ask you, what do you value? What do we value? Back in the 1920s, there was a famous athlete named Eric Little. He was a Scottish runner. And I've told you before, the movie The Chariots of Fire was made about the situation there with Eric Little. And because of Eric Little's value system, what he valued, he refused to run in a a heat or a race that was on a day that he esteemed or valued as the Lord's day. He refused to do that. When he was without question, he would have won it. There's no question. But he refused, and instead, 
and this wasn't a knee-jerk reaction. You know, he didn't just decide the day before. He'd been planning for months because he'd been training for another event that he wasn't supposed to win, that he was going to run in that instead because he would not compromise his value system just to run a race. And so he runs the day that, a day that um, did not compromise his values, and he broke a record and won that. <laughs> it's a very interesting uh, account there of how Eric Little maintained his value system. You see, he had a, a weighing process, the kind of weighing process that Moses had. It's the kind of weighing process that we ought to have. Let's talk about that. Think about Moses says he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. You know, there's pleasure in sin. There is a temporary fix, a temporary pleasure. In the book of Proverbs, the strange woman says stolen waters are sweet. There's no question that there is a, a pleasure in sin, but it's a temporary fix that, and that leads to a long-term misery. Okay, in serving Christ and weighing the value of serving Christ, you may have a temporary pain, but there's long-term joy. You see? I want to share with you a quote from one of my favorite Christian apologists who's deceased, Robbie Zacharias. When we think about a temporary discomfort versus a long-term joy, you see, Moses accounted that to be railed on now Notice, he's not talking about the sweet by and by. It says he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God, valuing the suffering affliction with the people of God was worth more than all of the pleasures of Egypt and the treasures of Egypt. Y'all see that? He's not waiting for the sweet by and by. He's saying in his value system, it was more valuable to him to suffer with the people of God and endure affliction with the people of God. That was more valuable than all the gold and silver in Egypt. And the quote I wanted to give you from Robbie Zacharias and his message on the problem of pleasure. Listen to this. And I quote, Meaninglessness, meaninglessness does not come from weariness with pain. Meaninglessness comes from weariness with pleasure. No one is more fed up with life than one who has exhausted pleasure. Some of the loneliest people in the world are those who have lived indulgent lives. Look at Hollywood. Look at politics. The most miserable people that you will find. And it's all because, not because there's meaningfulness in pleasure, but meaning that when pleasure runs out, when the sin begins to bite after the pleasure, the temporary pleasure runs out, it's nothing but emptiness. See? Whereas you may feel a temporary bite or pain right now in serving God because you're not engaging in this and you're not doing this or you're listening to wise counsel and, and you're being, you feel like restricted from something and yet the long-term effect of that is joy in the Lord. So which one do you want? Okay, let, let me give you a couple silly examples. I tell you right now that I've got $50 for you. I will give you $50 right now. Or you can choose... To get $100,000 if you'll just go home and check your drawer at home. Nobody get up and go rushing out. This is just an example, okay? But think about it. I tell you right now, you can have $50. But if you'll go home and check the drawer at home, wait a little time, and you'll have $100,000 waiting at home. Which would you choose? What about this one? I've got a matchbox car 
size design of your favorite vehicle that you want and dream about every night, whatever that is. I know what mine is. And I tell you, you can have this Matchbox car right now. That's, that's a design of your favorite vehicle. You can have this now, or you can wait, and you can go home, and it's parked in your driveway. Okay? You say, well, that's a no-brainer. Is it? Is it? What's going to make the difference between you choosing that Matchbox car and waiting and choosing to go home and see what's parked in your driveway? It's whether or not you believe me. Right? Do you value what I say to you? If you give no value to what I say, then you'll take the Matchbox car. You'll take the $50. See, Brother Tim's just pulling our leg. <laughs> you understand the point? What you choose to do is based on your value of how you value. Do you believe me? If you believe me that I really have committed to do that, you'd be crazy to take the Matchbox car. Or to take the $50 when there's 100000 waiting at home or there's a brand new vehicle waiting at home. See? You get, you get the example? Moses, it's like he looks at the $50 and he looks at the Matchbox car and he sees what that is and the effect of having a Matchbox car sitting on your, on, up on your uh, counter or your uh, chest of drawers at home as opposed to gaining something greater. See? It's because he believed Jesus, it's because he believed the Word of God. He believed the promise of God. You understand that? So make that into a little more, maybe a little more realistic. Young folks, that strange woman or that strange man comes along and they're beautiful, they're handsome. And they're willing to do things with you on a temporary basis. Because trust me, it will be temporary. It will be temporary. They're handsome, they're beautiful. You have that opportunity. And yet, that's your $50 deal. That's your Maxbox car. As opposed to what the Lord says, if you'll just wait, if you'll just honor me, I've got a greater blessing waiting for you down the road. And as I've said many times, you say, well, what if I have to wait 15 years, 20 years? So what? It's worth it because Christ is worthy. <laughs> Christ is worthy and you have a lot less headache too than giving in to those temporary things. See, that's what Moses did. Moses said, I've got all this treasure. And compared to the riches of Christ, it's like a matchbox car. I've got all this, this opportunities and all these things going for me in Egypt. And compared to the riches of Christ, it's like $50 versus an infinite billion dollars. You see? You can't do that naturally now. You've got to do that by faith. You have to compute that value by faith. So what we refuse and what we choose comes from what we value. This past week, Sister Tracy and I went to an art museum. Yeah, I know you think I'm very cultured. <laughs> we just didn't have anything else to do <laughs> on that particular time frame. So we went to an art museum. And it was huge. It was, it was really, I'm not into art, but it was amazing. It was an amazing experience. It didn't start off too good. It's huge. Ceilings as tall as this, the middle crest of this ceiling in here and so when we walked in unfortunately we walked into the modern art section and as soon as we walked they had people in every room because you and they made sister tracy take her backpack and put it on the front so she wouldn't bump into something i mean this was this was high dollar art some of them had price tags on them and so we started walking through this art museum and we were in the modern art section and i'm just going to tell you after about five little pieces that i looked at and big pieces i was like let's get out of here this is this is, i can't identify with this stuff i mean it's 
You know, it looks like somebody took a bucket of paint and just went, you know, just threw it up against the wall. It makes no sense. And then it says, this is, you know, so-and-so rocking their baby or something like that. And I'm like, what? I mean, somebody had to have a twisted mind to think that, you know, just taking your hand and going like that. Hey, look, I'm not knocking the artists or whatever, but bear with me in this example. There was even one section in the modern art. uh, uh, Brother Harold, our mechanics, would have loved this. It was just car parts that were just thrown together and welded together against the wall, just like a car had been mashed up and they put it and hung it on the wall. And it, I don't even remember what it said, but it was like you know, $10,000. I'm like, man, I can go down to Brother Harold's in his junkyard and behind back there and find that, you know? I was like, let's get out of here. So then we kind of got lost and we just started, because I didn't know how to get out. We just started wandering. Well, then we wandered into the vintage section that's what i call it and it was artwork from the 1600s 1700s maybe some even from the 1800s and we both we were just in awe number one of the number of biblical pictures that had been painted i I instantly began to identify i said oh my goodness this one right here which is about my favorite one This is a picture of David coming in from battling Goliath and it had Goliath's head on the plate with the bruise in his forehead where the stone had hit him in the head and all the women were dancing and saying, you know, David has slain, uh, Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands. I mean, I felt like I was there looking at that picture. In my heart, I, I, I just began to think, this is good stuff. And then we went room after room and some of the Paintings were the, the, the height of the room. I don't know how they did it. The heads of these individuals were huge. I don't know how somebody could do something like that. It was incredible. It was such a contrast to the unidentifiable modern art section. Here's what I want you to get out of that. I value those biblical pictures. And I still have them vividly in my mind. And they were identifiable. And they were realistic. You didn't have to wonder what was in the picture. I said, oh, that's the one from such and such. It was even one of Abraham and Melchizedek's, one of the most amazing paintings I've ever seen. Abraham and Melchizedek. And then over there in the modern art section, I have, I have no idea what those men and women meant. I can't identify with it. Because you see, their value system is not very realistic. But over here, in the, the ones that came up in a system where they were taught the Bible and they knew scenes from the Bible, I could had a window to the soul of those people by seeing what they put on the canvas. Does that make sense? Because based on what they value. Over here, I've got a value system that I cannot identify with because I can't even tell what's on the canvas. But over here, I've got people that no doubt were raised up learning the Word of God, understanding the scenes from the Word of God, And I can identify with those things. You see, there was a window to the soul of those painters. And a few of them that I looked at, I had tears in my eyes just thinking, man, that's something that I never dreamed I could visualize. And this painter has put something on canvas that I can identify with because it's real. That modern stuff, it's not real. You can't identify with it. I have no way to identify with it, except if I go to Brother Harold's junkyard. (laughs) You see, I'm not knocking modern art. I'm not saying it's all horrible and such, but I'm just saying what the difference is, you've got a different value system. 
the painters that painted those things we couldn't understand don't have the same value system as those painters that painted pictures from the Bible. And not just pictures from the Bible, but other scenes from history and whatever that I could understand what they were because they were, they were painted in a realistic way. So I ask you the question, how are we valuing things? You know, do we think that a relationship, if I could just get the right relationship with this person, if I could just get the right job, you know, if I could just get the right feel, or if I could get the right location, or if I could just get the, this or that, you know, see those things, if we value those things, they're always going to disappoint us. Did you know, listen, this may sting a little bit, but... I think that even as believers of the truth, we could put so much emphasis just on the letter of the truth that we forget that Christ said, search the Scriptures, for in the letter of the truth, you think you have the right position, but the letter of the truth merely testifies to the one who wrote the truth, Jesus Christ. This is what I mean. We can become cold in our belief of the truth. We can say it's just a matter of being right. I've seen that. I've, had, I've heard preaching that was mean-spirited because we're right. We've got the truth. You see, we lose sight of what the value of the truth is. The value of the truth is the one who spoke the truth. And if we search the Scriptures and everything, we find Christ behind that truth. So as an old Baptist who believes the doctrines of election and predestination and redemption and sanctification and all of those things, I understand that there's not just a cold letter of the truth, but there's something incredible behind that. And it's Christ. You see, it says that Moses esteemed the reproaches of Christ. And Christ was the one that made the promise to bring them out of Egypt, you see. See, we can value things in such a way that we lose our joy in them. Let me tell you, value Christ as the heaviest thing in your life. Will we refuse to be called sons and daughters of Egypt? Will we choose to suffer affliction with the people of God and based on the value of Christ? Do we value the present asset of being reproached for Christ's name as a greater asset than all the treasures that the world has to offer or the things that we can do? What we refuse and what we choose is based on what we value. And by faith, we can value Christ over whatever comes at us. I hope and pray that as we go forward in these strange and uncertain times, that we'll ref refuse to be called sons and daughters of Egypt. That we'll choose to identify ourselves as daughters and sons of God. And it all comes down to what you're valuing. How do you value Christ in your life? The best way to show your value for Christ, if you've not done this, is to become a part of the visible kingdom of God and go into the waters of baptism. That's something that honors God and it's, He smiles upon it. And it is an identifying factor that you're refusing to be called a son of Egypt or a daughter of Egypt, choosing to follow the Lord based on what you value. We'll select a song and give you that opportunity as we stand and sing.